journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And while I'm here to give you a trip of a lifetime and talk about Chumash, I'm sure there's a lot of Jewish ladies tripping <laughs> over Pesach and preparing for Pesach. So why not tune in to 101.9 High FM and listen on, uh, on, on, on air while you are preparing for Pesach, busy cooking and cleaning. There's nothing better than to listen to a little bit of Torah and listen to how actually the exodus from Egypt started. Um, we're nowhere near the plagues. We're nowhere near the coming out of Egypt, but we're going to take a step back and see what God says to Moses and his instructions to, uh, let, to help let the people go. This all happens, um, one year before the actual redemption happens. We went out in the year 2448 on the 15th of Nisan. Um, it was exactly a year before that we are finding ourselves now in the Chumash. We're in the book of Shemot. We're in the book of Exodus. And we are going to be starting chapter 3. So if you're around just listening, well, why not take out a Chumash and follow in? If you're just listening, well, that's good enough too. Glad you can join us. Of course, I am Adel Kozowski, and I am excited to be with you for the next hour. So let's get stuck into... Chapter 3, verse 1. Umoshe haya roe etzon yitro chotno kohen midyan. Moshe was tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro, who was the priest of Midian. Vayinhag etatzon achar hamidbar. He led the flock to the edge of the desert. Vayavo elhar haelokim choreva. He comes to the mountain of God, and the mountain of God's name is Chorev. As always, um, we are learning in the original. We are reading what the Hebrew Bible says, because when you look at it that way, you will see that there is a tremendous amount of nuance and and, and hidden um, ideas that we will find. So the first one is that um, we are introduced to Moshe as a shepherd, um, and that is why, again, he was chosen as the Redeemer of Israel. If you go look back um, again, you will see that all the patriarchs were shepherds. And the reason why our leaders, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, David, David, King David himself also was a shepherd. The reason why they 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 um, rose to the occasion and they became the leaders of the Jewish people is because a shepherd has to accustom themselves to the trait of mercy. That's number one. Um, in fact, we're told that how did he land up at Chorev? How did he land up at the mountain of God? We were told that he was tending his the sheep of his father-in-law, and a young kid ran away, and so he pursued that little sheep, that little kid, until he came to a place called Aspa. There was a cool stream flowing, and um, when the little kid ran to drink, Moshe said to himself, I didn't realize that this kid was thirsty. He ran all this way for a drink of water. Well, now certainly he he's probably exhausted from running, and he was also so thirsty. So he picked up the kid in his arm, and he carried them back. And when God saw that, 
God said, if you have such a, such pity on a poor animal, certainly you're ready to be the shepherd of Israel. And so now God will bring him to the mountain of God called Chorev. Also understand that when one is a shepherd, one is accustomed, accustomed to, um, going out into open fields, into smelling the clean air. There's really nothing that can disturb one's thoughts there. And they're not in the city, they're not in the humdrum, and there's nobody or nothing to disturb their tranquility of soul. And that allowed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Amelech, all of them to, to, to grow spiritually more than a person who's involved in the day-to-day stuff and things are pretty hectic. Um, also, one of the very interesting ideas that we see from this verse is that Moshe went to the edge of the desert. And we can ask ourselves, why would he take them to the edge of a desert? Why doesn't he feed them in the green pastures? Well, this showed his trait of honesty. Okay, obviously, it's much, much easier to take them into a field that is green and growing. And um, who cares, really, if if somebody else owns that field? Well, our patriarchs and our leaders were very, very careful about honesty. And so even though it's entailed considerable addition, additional effort, Moshe would only pasture his sheep beyond the desert where he was convinced and he knew that the grass was completely, completely ownerless. And remember that we had that occasion also with Avraham Avinu, where his shepherds had a fight with Lot's shepherds, and they decided um, to go separate ways because Lot's shepherds were, in fact, dishonest. Um, now, one other thing, just to show his honesty, his integrity, his morality, is that if you go look back again, he is described as, he's descri- described, sorry, the, the, the sheep. Hayaroe etzon Yitro. He was a shepherd to the sheep, to the flocks of Yitro. Chotno. Yitro was his father-in-law. Kohen Midian. He was the priest of Midian. Now, we've been following the story and all of us know who Jethro is, who Yitro is. We know that he was the Kohen of Midian and he got expelled because he became somewhat of a rebel against the idol worship of the time. We also know that it was his father-in-law because we speak about Moshe having a child and about marrying Tzipporah. So why again, we know that the Torah is very precise, why again is the Torah saying that he was looking after the sheep of Yitro, who was his father-in-law, who was the Kohen of Midian? And the answer is, again, showing that for Moshe, Moshe was was um, not afraid to announce that he was tending Jethro's sheep. Because remember that when Jethro uh, threw away all the idol worship, he got excommunicated by the townspeople, okay, and they tried to harm him. And that's why we are told that by the time Moshe came on the scene, the only people who were looking after the flock were Jethro's daughters because no man would want to work for Jethro because he had been excommunicated by society. But wherever Moshe went, he had no qualms. He would openly announce that the sheep belonged to Jethro and he showed that he trusted in God and he had absolutely no 
no fear. And we are also told that here it's an emphasis that he was looking after Jethro's sheep, not his own, to teach us again that um, he worked with perfect honesty. And when he was paid to do a job, he did the job only for his employee, employer and not his employee. Very, very um, important. So here again, you can see that it is so vitally important to remain remain honest, integrous, moral, kind, and those are the the signs of the Jewish people and certainly the signs of our leaders. Now he comes to Chorev, and Chorev is called God's mountain. Why is it called God's mountain? Because we know that um, God is going to reveal himself on this mountain, because Chorev is none other. It's the same name as Har Sinai, as Mount Sinai. Um, so when he comes to this place, this will be the place that he will stand over a year later and receive the Torah and bring it down to the Jewish people. So this was a holy place. And in fact, how did he know? Because when he was approaching the mountain, the Midrash tells us that uh, Moshe saw many flocks of birds and the birds were keeping their distance like they were none of them were actually landing or resting on the on the on the on the, on the mountain and he was intrigued okay um so he walked there to go and see what was going on Hi FM your station of choice since 2008 Right, so let's see what happens at the foot of Sinai. Vayare Malach Hashem Elav. Vayera Malach Hashem Elav. Belabat Esh Mitoch Behold, God's angel appears to him um, in the heart of the fire, in the midst of the bush. Vayar vihinei hasne boer ba'esh. And behold, he sees the bush burning in fire. Vihasne enenu ukal. But the bush was not Consumed. So what we see over here is that an angel comes to him in the midst of the fire, in the middle of the branches of the bush. The bush is completely in flames, not being consumed. And we are told that this angel that came was, in fact, Gabriel, who is the angel of fire. And the flame that Moshe actually sees, we are told, was a radiance of the divine. Now, what was God's um, intention? He was easing Moshe into having a conversation with him. You know, if you're completely physical and you're working in the physical realm and suddenly God talks to you, you're going to pass out. And that really is um, something that, you know, we all joke, let God reveal himself to me. But we saw that when it came to Har Sinai, when it came to um, the giving of the Torah, when God revealed himself and he said the first words of the Ten Commandments, the Jews fainted. They were revived. He said the second, they fainted again because of the revelation. Only after which they said to Moshe, you tell us the rest of the commandments because we don't have the capacity to speak to um to 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 God that way. So here Moshe is accustoming accustoming himself to the radiance, having the courage to face it, because he is going to be confronted with the most powerful revelation of the divine when he's going to be receiving the Torah. And so God decided to 
you know, get him used to it little by little. So first he sees the angel um, and then you will see, he'll see the Shekhinah and then God will speak to him. Right. Um, the, at that time, also, we need to know that Moshe was very concerned that the Egyptians would utterly exterminate the Jews. So what happened was that God created this bush and the bush, the snare, was a symbol because just as the bush could burn without being consumed, God was giving him a symbol, a sign that, in fact, um, the Jews are being persecuted, but they never will be annihilated. And this is really something that we've seen throughout history, right? We've gone through horrific stuff, the bondage in Egypt, the Spanish um, expulsion, um, all the different massacres that happened, the Holocaust, of course. We might be persecuted, but we will never be annihilated because we are the Jewish people. We are eternal, and God has promised our existence forever. So um, if the Ayatollah in Iran is listening right now, or any anybody who is bent on our destruction, know that you will never, ever, ever be able to destroy the Jewish people. God also wanted to teach Moshe a lesson with the burning bush. And that is a very profound lesson. We know and we are told in the Gemara that if a person has a sword on his neck, meaning it looks like he's completely hopeless, he should trust in God and not give up hope because God can protect a person no matter what his situation. So what do we see here? We see a thorn bush. It's usually ignited by the smallest ember. But it remained whole while there was a huge flame burning in its midst. Why? Because God willed it so. So neither the sword, nor fire, nor water, nor the bank manager, nor the anything can harm a person unless God wills it. A very, very profound lesson. Another lesson of the burning bush was that if you looked around the mountain, there were many types of trees. Why did God choose to reveal himself to, to, to Moshe in a lowly thorn bush? To teach a lesson that God partakes in our suffering. We know in Psalms it says, I am with him, meaning I am with Israel in time of trouble. Which means that even though Jews are suffering, they're being persecuted, God comes and reveals himself, so to speak, in a thorn bush, the thorn bush being symbolic of the Jews' status in the world, being very, very low, being trodden on. Another reason why it was a thorn bush and not anything else was that the thorn bush, the thorn bush alluded to Israel's exile in Egypt. You know, it's very easy for one to put one's hand into a thorn bush, but when one tries to remove it, it gets torn by the thorns. And so similarly in that light, the Egyptians found it very easy to accept the Israelites and subjugate them. But when the Jews tried to get away from the Egyptians, um, they, it was very difficult. And further on later, we will see that also um, while the Egyptians managed to easily subjugate the Jews, um, when they tried to pull, when, they, when the Jews pulled away, the Egyptians got severely, severely wounded. Another reason for the burning bush 
many, many reasons, as you can see, is that the thorn bush is only one, is the only one that has five leaves around each twig. It's very similar to the hadassim. The hadassim that we put into the lulav on Sukkot has to have three leaves around each twig um, in order for it to be kosher. Here, the thorn bush was a type of plant that had five leaves around each twig. Why, you may ask. An illusion, we are told, that we were taken out of Egypt in the merit of five tzaddikim, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, and Aaron. And finally, um, before we move on, if you look at the word for thornbush, hasne, okay, hasne has a gematria of 120. Hay is five, samach is 60, nun is 50, and hay is five. So if you add that all up, that comes to 120. And this was an illusion that Moshe would live, would be, was destined to live for 120 years, and he would be the redeemer. So there you go, lots of reasons why Moshe saw a thorn bush that wasn't burning. Let's go on to verse 3. Vayome Moshe, Moshe says, Asurana. I'm going to turn aside and see this great, um, this great sight. I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Madua lo yivar hasne. Why is this, bur- this bush not burning? Now, as we spoke about Moshe's integrity and his honesty, he wouldn't have taken time to be diverted to go see what was happening. But here he realized that he was seeing something absolutely extraordinary. And, um, you know, he needed to go and see what was going on. He says, I don't understand. This makes no sense. Why is this bush, why is this, um, this bush not burning? And when he started looking at this burning bush and contemplating the flame, he realized that he was looking at a supernatural phenomenon. First of all, we're told that he meditated on the flame. He saw in his mind's eye the angel in the flame. And then he, he, he gazed at it even more deeply, gaining even greater insight. And he was able to perceive prophetically that there was God's divine presence in the, in, in, in the flame. And again, the Midrash also goes and explains, as I just uh, mentioned earlier, that God did want him to become accustomed to speaking to God. It's almost like a person who's in a very dark room. You don't just flip the lights and make it completely bright because that person will, will actually squirm. He'll hide, um, his eyes because the light would be far too intense. So, by bringing him to the burning bush and him meditating and starting to slowly see, like him, him raising his, his consciousness, he was able to become accustomed to, to what was being revealed to him. Now, firstly, just in him looking at the bush, he saw two things that were strange about the fire. First of all, it wasn't burning the bush, as we all understand. And secondly, the fire was divided into two tongues on both sides of the bush. There was a space in the middle. And so the bush in the middle was, um, was, was, was devoid of, of, of flame. Okay. So he could see that, that this was really, really strange. 
and a strange phenomenon. What I want to do now, though, is just to divert a little bit and tell you what the Midrash Mamlo is, talks, um, says about fire. Very interestingly. And this is, it's actually quite fascinating. He says, ordinarily there are six types of fire. The first type of fire is fire, as we all know it, the normal physical fire. It's the fire, and I'm quoting here, that eats but does not drink. What does that mean? It's, it's fire. Fire burns dry things, but normal fire can be extinguished from, by water. So there's normal fire. Then the Midrash goes and tells us that there's biological fire. This is the fire that is found inside of us. It's responsible for our body heat of keeping us at a, at a 37 point, uh, I think it's 37.2 normal temperature. Um, but it's also the fire that can burn when we are being invaded by microbes and we develop a fever. So that's called biological fire. The third type is called heavenly fire. And heavenly fire um, can con can consume water. We said the normal fire, normal physical fire that we know can be extinguished by water. Then there's the concept of heavenly fire that cannot be extinguished by water. In fact, it it consumes water. Where did we see such a fire? Well, in the in the in the Tanakh, we have a story about Elijah the prophet, who had to go and prove that um, God was the true God to all the idolatrous people around him. And they both, the idolatrous people and Elijah, set up a sacrifice. And Elijah said, the, 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 the sacrifice that is consumed, that, that is the God that is true. And we are told that God's fire descended. This is in the book of Kings, Malachim, that the fire descended. It consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the soil, and the soil, and it also evaporated the water in the trenches. So this was, of course, a heavenly fire that came down to prove that Eliyahu Navi, that Elijah the prophet was correct, that God is God, um, but this was a heavenly fire that was able to consume water. Then we have the fourth type of fire, which is called a divine fire. This was a fire that descends from heaven to ignite the great big altar that was sitting in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and then we have what's called a spiritual fire. And this is the fire that dispels fire. This is the angel Gavriel, who we said Moshe sees within the fire. Okay. Um, Gavriel can make fire or extinguish it. It's a very, very high form of fire. Obviously, this is all, um, it becomes um, allegorical. But that's called spiritual fire. And finally, we've got the fire that consumes all fire, and that is the power of the divine presence. Um, because that itself, the, the power of divine presence, when the divine presence makes itself present, and it is there, it can even consume angels. So these are the six levels of fire, normal fire, biological fire, heavenly fire, divine fire, spiritual fire, and then the fire of all fires, the divine presence. Now, what fire was Moshe looking at in the burning bush? Well, we are told, in fact, that um, while you would think that it was the fire of all fires, the divine presence, he was actually looking at a seventh unique type 
Okay, why? Because the fire that he was looking at was unique in so far as there was no source for the fire. The fire was not connected to the source of fuel. Now remember, you can't go see flames leaping unless you look at the bottom of the flames and see where it's getting its fuel from, whether it's from wax or from oil or from wherever it is, there's got to be a starting point for the fire to burn. And that is why um, Moshe looks at this thorn bush. He sees flames, but he doesn't see the fuel that is flaming the flames. And that's why he asks, why is this bush not burning? How come there is fire on both sides of the bush, but the bush is still not burning? Now, we are told um, as a psychological fact that when a person sees something with his own eyes, if he can't grasp it with his mind, then the mind does not record what he actually sees. Because one, what one sees is governed by what one thinks he is seeing. So this is why Moshe is sitting there and he's not processing through his mind what it is that he was seeing. Like, why doesn't the bush burn? How can there be a flame in the midst of a bush that without actually burning it? If the flame was actually in the bush, it should consume it. Like, he just couldn't understand. And so he stares at it. And in staring at it, he goes through those levels of seeing the angel, then seeing the divine presence. And he comes to a point eventually of revelation from God. And this is what we are going to see now. In verse 4, God saw that he had turned aside to see. God calls to Moshe from the midst of the bush. And he says, Moshe, Moshe. He says, Moshe, Moshe, Hineni. He says, I am here. Kind of like, I am here to do your bidding. Now, we have this type of calling out quite a few times in the Torah. We have God calling out uh, to Abraham, 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 to Yaakov, Yaakov, to Shmuel, Shmuel. Now we have Moshe, Moshe, except there is one difference. And this is a difference that you can't see unless you're looking in the original of the Torah, the way the Torah is written, because when you look at the words Abraham, Abraham, this is in chapter 22 of Genesis, okay, or Yaakov, when it goes Yaakov, Yaakov, you can look at that in Genesis 46, you will see that there is a very thin line between the names. So you'll have Abraham, thin line, Abraham, Yaakov, thin line, Yaakov, etc. But when it comes to Moshe, Moshe, you will see there's no punctuation, no line between the repeated names. What is this coming to teach us? It's coming to tell us that there never was an interruption in Moshe's prophecy. From this time onwards, he would be in a constant state of prophecy. He would be able to speak to God just like a mortal man would be able to, to, to speak to him. Um, and this is why we see now that Moshe is calling out, I mean, that God is calling out to him and bringing him into his, the, the state of prophecy that he will remain in for really the rest of his life. Hi FM 
101.9 megahertz of life. Verse 5 of chapter 3 by Yomer and God says to him, Al tikrav halom etna alecha. Do not come closer and remove your shoes. Me'al raglecha, off your feet. Ki hamakom asher ata omed alav admat kodesh hu. For the place upon which you are standing is holy ground. Why is it holy ground? We've spoken about it. This is the the mountain that we're going to receive the Torah on. But let's just talk a little bit about shoes very quickly because when we look now, Moshe has been told to take off his shoes. Who else in the Bible um, walked around barefoot? Well, none other than all the Kohanim and the Kohen God, the priests in the temple. They had the, the most beautiful clothing, um, ornate, pristine, holy but they walked around barefoot. And you could ask yourself, well, why not make the best, uh, best leather sandals? Like, why don't you give them, like, really something beautiful? Why are you telling Moshe to take off his shoes right now? Well, God's telling Moshe to do this because it's an allusion to the physical body. You know, just as shoes cover the lowest extremities of the body, the physical body covers the lowest extremities of the soul. Moshe's body, so to speak, had been touched by the Egyptians. And so it was not worthy to reach the high spiritual levels that, that, was, that, were, that were ordained for it. So God said to him, remove your present body and invest yourself in a new body upon which the divine presence will rest. And that explains then why the the, the the priests in the temple also walked barefoot. They were walking barefoot because they had divested themselves of the crass materiality of this world that we're involved in. They were walking on holy ground. They were walking on a much, walking with a much deeper level and understanding of the consciousness of godliness. Right. Verse six. Vayomer, God says, Anochi elokei avicha, elokei Avraham, elokei Yitzhak, elokei Yaakov. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moshe heard this, Vayaster Moshe panav kiyare mehabit el ha'elakim, Moshe hides his face, for he is afraid to look at God. Oh, yeah, now you can understand the sequence. At first he showed him the angel, then he showed him the divine presence, and then he calls out to him. And as soon as God has a tete-a-tete, he has a whole conversation with Moshe, Moshe squirms and he hides his face. But before we do that, um, let's understand a little bit more of why he hid his face, because it's hidden in the words, I am the God of your father. Now, why mention Moshe's father. Whenever us Jews want to evoke um, God's presence, God's blessing, God's connection, we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Over here you can see God says, I am the God of your father. Moshe's father's name was Amram. And then the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what's going on here? So that's why I'm telling you we always have to learn inside at the you know, at, at, at the core of what the Chumash is really telling us. First of all, Avram's father, um, uh, sorry, Moshe's father, Amram, was already dead. Okay? Um, and 
God understood that if he came out and he spoke to Moshe as God, that would be way too traumatic. He's still easing him in. So we're told in the Midrash that what he did was when he went and said, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov, God was speaking in Amram's voice, in the voice of Moshe's late father. When he heard his father's voice, he became excited. He said, my father maybe still is alive. Then the reports I heard um, are not true. So that's why he goes, when, when Moshe, Moshe, and he goes, Hineni, he goes, I'm here. What do you want, dear father? And then what happens, the Midrash says, is that God answers, I'm not your father. I am the God of your father. And I spoke to you using your father's voice so you won't be frightened. But, but I'm also the God of Abraham, who saved Abraham from Nimrod. Um, I am the God of, of Yitzchak, um, of Yaakov, saving, saving Yaakov from everything. I am the God of your father. Also, by the way, in saying that he, God verified that in fact Amram had already passed away. And on top of that, we are told that if Amram was still alive, because Amram was the leader of the Jewish people at that point in time, if Amram was alive, Moshe would never ever have accepted the mission to go to Egypt to release the Jews because he would have said, I'm not fit to undertake a mission. Um, as long as my father's alive, my father's the Rebbe, my father's the leader of the generation. So that was one, one, one idea. The other idea of why Amram was mentioned, I am the God of your father, is that in fact there's a tradition that teaches us that Amram was amongst the four, amongst four tzaddikim who never experienced any sin. And he never, ever, ever would have died, save of the fact that there was a decree um, from the time of the Garden of Eden with the serpent that we that that you have to die. So let's just take a step back again. You can see with his experience at the burning bush, Moshe went through three levels of prophecy. First, he saw the angel, then he heard God's voice calling to him from the bush, and then suddenly now he sees a vision of the divine. Okay, he knows that he's speaking to God and he then becomes the, the person in, um, in Jewish history who spoke to God face to face. There was none other until Moshe and there's been none other until, until now. And in fact, we are told, okay, we are told that, um, that, 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 that Moshe um, could speak to God all day, every day, whenever he wanted to. Um, and that's why he hid his face, because it was just such a frightening, frightening idea. Right, let's zip quickly to verses 7 to 10, where God says as follows, By Yomer Hashem, God says, Ra'oraiti it oni ami, I have seen the suffering of my people, Asheba Mitzrayim, in Egypt, Ve'etza akatam shamati, I've heard their cries, Bibnei Nokshav, um, that, that because of the slave drivers, Kiyadati et Machoav, I know their pain. Ve'ered lahatsilomi yad Mitzrayim, I'm gonna go down. And I'm going to release them from Egypt. I'm going to 
bring them up from that land to a land that is good and expansive. And he has the famous words, Al Eretz Zavat Chalavudvash, to a land flowing with milk and honey. To the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Yibusites lived. And now, I can, the, 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 the cries of the Jewish people have come to me. And I see the pressure that Egypt is applying to them. So now, you go. Veshlachacha, and I will, uh, I will, I will go with you, El Paroi, to go, uh, go to Pharaoh, Vehotzi et Ami b'nei Yisrael mitzrayim, go out and take the Jews out of Egypt. Really, I'm going to keep it that in, 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 in the simple part, because that is the instruction. We've spoken about how the Egyptians persecuted and tormented the Jews, and it was time now to be redeemed from all this terrible subjugation. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We're going to do another two verses just to finish up. Moshe says to Elohim, Who am I that I should go to Paro? Why should I go out and tell the, uh, bring the Jews out of Egypt? I'm, I'm, I'm a nothing. Okay. Um, I really, really do not have the wherewithal to go and take the Jews out of Egypt. Um, and he was, he was worried on many, many aspects. Um, Moshe, he was worried that the Jews would not accept him. He was worried about the difficulty of Paro. He didn't know how he was going to feed them and look after them in the desert. There were a million things that, that came into his mind and he said, like, who am I? Please, me, you know, leave me alone. I, 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 I don't have the capability of taking the Jews out of Egypt. Final verse, Vayomer ki ye imach. No, says God, that I will be with you. This shall be your sign that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to become God's servants on this land. And that was really the summation of what God was telling you, the reason we're coming out of Egypt, to serve God on the mountain. And so I want to leave you with this thought. Going out of our our boundaries, out of our slavery, does not mean that we just have unremitted freedom to do whatever we want to do. One has to be a servant of something. And the Jewish viewpoint is that we need to come out and serve God. We need to get rid of all the slaveries we have in our lives, um, be it the bank manager, be it peer pressure, be it whatever it is, you fill in you fill in the blank. You know where you're enslaved, and part of it is not only getting rid of that enslavement, but then turning your vision, your focus to what it is that what your purpose in this world is. Your purpose in this world, you're a godly soul, and you're here to serve God and make this world a better place. Torah has the answers to it. And I encourage each and every single one of you to continue joining me and everybody else on Chai FM that teaches Torah along with all the other incredible resources that, that we have in our hands to go and explore our Jewish heritage. Now is the time. It's the era of Pesach. Take upon yourself 
to explore who you really are. With that, I wish all our listeners a chakasher v'sameach. You should have a beautiful, beautiful Pesach. And may we all merit the ultimate redemption where God will take us out of our Egypt again, this present world, and take us to Yerushalayim with the building of the third Beit HaMikdash. Chak Sameach.